joining me is Fiona Ball, Group Director of The Bigger Picture at Sky, Richard Wright, Behavioural Science Director at Unilever, and Ed Maybach has the longest organisational name on the panel by some distance, Ed. <laughs> the Centre for Climate Change Communication, the Medical Society, Consortium on Climate Change and Health. We know that this is a very difficult and complex area. Companies have been for decades trying to influence consumers in the right way, as well as the traditional way of just selling them more stuff or creating needs and wants. So really interested to hear our panel's views on how what's been learned from their experience in working with partner companies, marketing departments and general experts on engaging consumers can be applied to this idea of empowering consumers around climate change and human health. So I've asked our speakers to make some initial opening remarks with some thoughts on the topic. And then in the way that we've done before, you can apply your own questions in the Q&A function. And I will try and think of something sensible to ask our speakers. So Fiona, why don't we start with you? I think most people will be familiar with Sky. But if you want to say a sentence or two about the organisation, please do. And then really interested to hear your views on this important topic. Thank you very much and thanks for inviting me to the panel. I'm the group director of The Bigger Picture, which is what we call at Sky our social and environmental impact work. We're obviously a media and entertainment company across Europe. We've been looking at how we engage and use our voice as a broadcaster to engage the public, customers and other businesses around the issues of climate change and the impact that that has on, on individuals' health for a while. Particularly, I would say, most relevant to these conversations around Sky Ocean Rescue, which was a campaign that we launched back in January 2017 to really raise awareness of the issues of single-use plastic in our oceans and what businesses but also the public could do to reduce the amount of single-use plastic that we use. And obviously, this is a really big issue because it's not just about plastics in our ocean and an issue with waste and the impact that it has on climate change and the health of our oceans, but it also has a big impact in terms of health of individuals because microplastics do get into marine organisms and into the food that we eat and affect health that way. We launched Die Ocean Rescue back in 2017 and have been looking at ways that we could raise awareness, and we did that through our news channel but also through commissioning documentaries looking at lots of different ways we could do that but then on a broader look at climate we have launched something called sky zero which kind of matches our own ambition as an organization to be net zero carbon by 2030 and looking at different ways that we could use our channels to give our customers the knowledge because knowledge is, is empowerment Without knowledge and understanding of the issues, then people don't know what they can do and what they should do to change their own behaviours. And how we've been looking at that is how we can engage lots of different people across the issue of climate change, whether that's through our news channels. So we've launched something called The Climate Show, which is on our Sky News channel every day. We've been looking at how we engage with our sports channel. So our Sky Sports channel have commissioned a number of different pieces of content that look at climate and the impact on sport, whether that's cricket, whether that's football. And then we've also been looking at how we engage young children and young families through our Sky Kids channel. And I think the biggest lessons that we've learned in all of the process that we've been going through is that we need to engage people through the things that they're passionate about, the things that they care about. It's not something that you can speak to people generically. You know, the documentaries are great, but you're specifically talking to a certain audience there that are into looking at kind of documentaries. You need to go through the things that they're passionate about, whether that's sport, whether that's their children, whether that's fashion or whether that's food. So, yeah, very happy to be on this panel and to chat further. Let's move to Richard Williamson and your views on this. Richard, over to you. I'll take it in a slightly different direction. I looked at the brief and it talked about best practice. 
And then I think in your introduction, you talked about a meaningful engagement. I think we have to look where we are around climate change. It's a very large elephant to eat. The number of behavioural changes that we need on a mass level, in a voluntary kind of sense, is, is absolutely unprecedented in history. So I think actually, you leave having footprints, I'll, I'll take on a low middle income countries, what we call developing in emerging markets and develop. So those some people don't have a choice. What I see in my own programme in sub-Saharan Africa is that actually you get a lot of climate damage through poverty, the alleviation of poverty, the, the enablement of people to actually create a living outside burning charcoal or stripping fish out of lakes or poaching is extremely important. So I think that's a very important aspect of behaviour change that I guess in a Eurocentric UK point of view, typically we don't see. I think best practice is, try not to not sound too controversial, but is, is going slightly in the wrong direction. So we're getting more and more elegant at doing small and smaller changes. The academic literature is about precise, beautiful changes, beautiful interventions that change one behaviour. And I think I said probably two years ago, Toby, in a conference, we don't save the world nudge by nudge, behaviour by behaviour. So I feel that actually there are two things we need to think about. One is what I call at the time plastic, I did, but self-identity. So the belief that you are a person that does these things, you belong to a positive group. We have to get people passionate about doing something. They feel that they're actually extending their social network. They belong to a movement or a group of people that do these things. And I think the other thing is known as self-efficacy. I think it's very difficult to tell everybody that actually we're doomed. Everybody needs to change everything and then expect action. Because actually there is a, a lack of credibility between taking action on an individual level and having the overall effect on climate. We've got to think seriously about how we ensure that people feel that their actions are actually leading to the effect and how we communicate about those things. The people who don't know that they shouldn't take flights, that they shouldn't do these behaviours, they just either don't want to or they don't feel it'll make a difference. We always use a collaboration word, partnership, all those sorts of things, but it's actually an unspeakably big challenge, I think, actually, that we've got to think about industries, how we take together. So that's my thought. I think we try all sorts of things, but actually on an individual level, it's going to be hard, isn't it? That sounds a very doom, doomful message, but actually I think we have to face up to the reality of how hard it's going to be. Ed, over to you. What are your thoughts? Richard, I want to respond and build on what you said, because I, I think you just did a bit of serious truth-telling there, and it's really important what you said. And I'd like to add to it the fact that it's not that we need 7.5 billion people to change their behavior. I mean, in the end, we sort of do. But really, there are 197 people who are most important in the world. They're the heads of state. Those are the people whose behavior we most need to change. We need them to show the courage, the bravery to do what's right by the health and well-being of the 7.5 billion people on the planet, or at least those that are in their own nation. I don't actually expect a head of state to worry necessarily about the health and well-being of people in other nations, but I sure do hope that the heads of state all care enough about the health and well-being of their own people to step up and do what's right, what's necessary at COP26. That was my response to Richard's incredibly important statement. But let me come back to what I actually planned on saying. So I live in the United States of America, where climate change is a more contentious issue than any other country in the world. 
Okay, so I want you to understand that. But even here in the U.S., climate change is a much less contentious issue than most people appreciate. Most people understand. It looks like a seriously, savagely contentious issue because of the way our media system in the U.S. is currently structured. Essentially, media that is highly partisan and does battle with the other side. In reality, a big part of my day job is that I poll Americans probably 20 times a year on what they think, feel, know, and are doing about climate change. And I can tell you that seven out of 10 Americans are worried about climate change. And only one out of 10 really dismiss the realities of a changing global climate. And so those seven, right away, we've got, for every 10 people out there in America, we've got seven of them who are worried and looking to find ways of responding to this issue in a sensible manner. And we've only got one out there who's poo-pooing the whole thing and saying, this is nonsense. The takeaway, the bottom line from that is most of the public, even in the US, where this is the most contentious issue anywhere on the planet, most consumers are with us on this issue. Second point I want to make is that there are what I call five essential truths about global warming. And they're essential because in our research, we found that the people who understand these five essential truths are much more likely to be rolling up their sleeves and getting involved in facilitating solutions, whether that's through their own behavior in the way they run their households and their lives, or whether it's in their behavior as a consumer advocate trying to push back on all of you to make sure that you run your businesses in responsible ways and or whether it's how they act in a political advocacy capacity, pushing back on our leaders, the leaders of their community, the leaders of their state or province and their heads of state. But those five essential truths that differentiate those people who are most likely to be engaged from those who are less likely to be engaged are incredibly simple ideas. Number one, people who understand that it's real. Global warming is real, which as I've already said, in the nation least likely to believe that it's real, we still have, let's just say eight out of 10 of us, accept the reality. Number two, it's us, it's human caused. Number three, experts agree. There is no disagreement among true experts about the realities of human-caused climate change, and citizens who understand that are much more likely to be engaging. Number four, it's bad. It's not just bad for plants, penguins, and polar bears, because almost everyone understands and accepts that it's bad for iconic species in the Arctic, but relatively fewer people understand that it's bad for us. It's bad for our health and well-being. But those who do are much more likely to be engaged. And number five, perhaps the most important one, given where we are today in 2021, there's hope. There are actions that we can take that will make a difference. As my dear friend, Catherine Hayhoe, one of the world's truly great climate scientists, likes to say, it's not the case that we're effed. We might be effed a little bit, but our actions today will determine how effed we are going forward. So people who understand correctly that there are important actions that we can take that will make a difference, those are the people most likely to be engaged. And I come back again to those 197 heads of state. Those are the people whose actions are most consequential here. We didn't get to where we are today as a result of bad behavior on our part. We got to where we are today as a result of bad public policy on the part of every one of our nations. So this is how we get out of the bad place where we currently are, better public policy. Last point I want to make, 
relatively few Americans. I don't know so much about citizens of other nations, but I can tell you for sure, relatively few Americans have any inkling, any understanding that climate change is harmful to human health. When we teach them, when we make the effort to teach them about the human health relevance of climate change, they respond positively. They're appreciative. They tell us, I didn't know that. And even Americans on the conservative side of the political spectrum, who are much more likely to be skeptical of climate change, they still say, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that information with me. So this whole reframing of climate change away from polar bears and towards people and our health is a fundamentally helpful framing if we want to engage consumers, engage citizens in this issue to recognize the relevance of it to them and their lives and the things they love, as Fiona said very eloquently in her opening comments. So I'll leave it there. Those are, I think there's a real opportunity for the business sector to help change the conversation to create a start, a better conversation, a conversation that we have every reason to believe will help citizens and consumers engage in more meaningful, effective ways. Clearly, I think we all agree what we need is a combination of the carrot and stick. We know what the stick is. It's carbon pricing. It's upstream carbon taxes. It's putting a price on pollution and creating incentives for reduction. But on the opportunity side that you referred to there, Ed, I'd be interested to know what your advice might be to company executives watching this broadcast as to how they can start to I don't want to use the word capitalize on the opportunities, that sounds cynical, but to take up those opportunities to drive customer loyalty and some form of change in a way that benefits their business. What are your thoughts on some practical ways that they might start to do that? My dear friend, Jim Hogan, one of the most sophisticated PR strategists on the planet, he likes to say, there's really only three rules of good public relations. Number one, do the right thing. Number two, be seen doing the right thing. Number three, don't get one and two mixed up. I hate to say this, but I think too many companies are getting one and two mixed up. They want to be seen doing the right thing, but they're not necessarily truly doing the right things. So anyone who is in this conversation today with us, I would encourage you to think deeply about what your company can do to truly align with solutions. And then make sure that your stakeholders, not only your consumers, but the full range of your stakeholders, understand that you're showing courage. You're showing insight. You're showing courage. You understand what the right thing is. You are moving in that direction. And if you get those two fundamentals right, you're well on your way to being part of the solution. Uh, well, let me ask Fiona and then Richard if they'd like to comment on this point. Fiona. I think it kind of links into the other question as well around how do you help people make positive action and, and do something can change. And I would actually switch that and say it's not up to the individuals and consumers to change their behaviours in some circumstances. It's the businesses need to take the responsibility and produce products and services that are more sustainable, reduce the impact on climate. Consumers only can do what they're given and what services and products they're able to buy. They have a choice and they will go to the businesses that provide the products and services that they're happy with. So consumers will walk, you know, they will go to companies that they prefer. But I do think that 
businesses have a responsibility to do everything they can to transform their business, to transform their products, to provide consumers with products that have energy efficiency built through it, reduce their packaging as much as possible, are circular in their approach as part of that. The one thing, though, just expanding on that around what consumers can do is that the biggest thing that consumers can do once they understand the issues is actually use their voice as well, because those changes will only happen, whether that's through policy changes and through legislation or through businesses taking action by consumers actually using their voice and and telling people, signing up to petitions if it's around policy changes or writing to businesses, asking them to change their behaviour. Thank you. Richard, reflections? So I do agree in governments, absolutely. I do agree in businesses, but actually it's about everyone. I did a big study on water in India, and it was all the government's fault. And there were very simple actions that people could have taken to actually improve their water supply at a community level. But it was the other's fault. So I do feel that actually we all need to take our share And I work a lot with development organisations in the work that I do in the sustainability sector. Marketers lose their ability sometimes. They're fantastic at marketing brands. Really, really good. And there's great principles. And Sky, absolutely brilliant. And also fast-moving consumer goods is well-known to be kind of good at marketing. But you sell a benefit. You don't sell avoidance of a negative. You do differentiating, you plead to the emotional side. And I think sometimes when you have an austere, threatening message, if you don't do this, then X will happen. That's not how we market most other things. So I think there's an awful lot we can do in this area, which is much more aspirational. It sounds odd, doesn't it? But there there is a better world out there if we can all work together. And I think there's a huge bit, but I completely mind what Fiona says as well, is that actually you can design products and services that have a light touch in a kind of environmental damage perspective. They also need to be used in a way. And we can't always design into the product that it's used without, like I worked on showering seamlessly for years and getting people out of long, hot showers is almost impossible. And you can do what you like. And it's really, really hard. So I think there are things that the consumers can do, things that businesses can do. And of course, Ed's point is that the government's better get on with and do it as well. There's a huge amount we can do. I'm going to ask you all to address a specific area in a minute. Your comments, Richard, remind me of that climate change satirical cartoon about climate change scepticism when one person turns to the other and says, what happens if we went and made a better world for nothing? <laughs> which is one of my favourite climate change cartoons. And if you think about what that means, we've talked about air pollution and reducing air pollution is clearly something that has an enormous benefit for human health, but a bit like climate and human health, it's been under-discussed and under-appreciated, but it's now becoming front of mind. There's a great app you can get on your phone called Plume. And if, like me, you take small children along city streets, you're extremely conscious of air pollution at three feet off the ground, three feet off the curb, being breathed in by a three-year-old with vulnerable lungs. And so air pollution becomes an incredibly emotive issue quite quickly once you realise the downside. But also the solutions are actually remarkably simple in some cases. So I wonder how, if you're all asked to advise on how we empower consumers to reduce air pollution in their communities, what would be the role of companies like Unilever and Sky and WBA and GSK in a a coalition to do that? I could see that being a really powerful win. 
I lived in a community where people on Facebook groups and so on decided they were going around to stop people idling their engines in the street. And it just became a sort of thing. You'd see people going up to people in cars saying, why are you running your engine needlessly? And I just thought that was a fantastic example of a small change that could make a difference. So I'm going to ask you all to focus on air pollution and what brands in collaboration could do. I'm trying to bring this to life, really. Otherwise, we end up broad macro conversation about how hard it is. So, Ed, let me come to you first. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I really like that reframing of the conversation because there's a new field called behavioral economics, right? The economists who study why it is that people so often don't end up taking actions that are in their best interest. And the fundamental answer is pretty simple. People don't like to incur a cost today for a benefit that doesn't accrue until well down the pike, well into the future. The implication of that is, to Richard's point, if we can offer people benefits today, they're much more likely to take those actions today. Got to have that immediate positive reinforcement, the immediate provision of the benefit proximal to when people are taking action. Fighting climate change, hard. Fighting air pollution, much easier. Because... The actions that we take today to fight air pollution immediately pay off in the form of cleaner air, cleaner water, and better health. And yes, every one of us can take actions to fight air pollution. In my own home, I run it on solar energy. I've reduced the use of natural gas by 98%. The only natural gas coming into my home is heating my water kettle. Pretty soon that will be gone too. And so I've taken those actions. But again, I, I want to reflect on what businesses can do to, to really be transformative. Businesses can lean in on the decision makers who determine what is the source of the electricity that comes into our homes and into your businesses. And what, sure, an individual business can decarbonize, and yes, an individual home, household, if they have the financial resources can decarbonize, but it's simply better when public utility commissions demand that the producers of electricity decarbonize. And in doing so, in addition to cleaning up our air, water, and, and giving us better health, in doing so, they're actually going to be making more money over the long term. Fiona, let's say we put together a coalition of different brands and you're working with Unilever and you're working with WBA and GSK. How would we put those grouped together to deliver something meaningful around something like air pollution and education? Because I can see that as a huge opportunity. We do this. We've got obviously Sky Media, a massive platform, and actually are looking at ways that they do work with lots of different brands to pull together advertising or information that can be given to consumers. And we do this with the Personal Dirt is Good campaign, for example, that we put on our platforms. We've just done a, a big competition, actually, looking in the run up to COP with the Sky Footprint Fund, asking brands to pitch ideas around what they can do to help consumers change their behaviours. You could easily do that. It takes lots of different businesses to come together. What have you got? What messages have you got? What campaigns, what programmes have you got that could help consumers and could help particular communities reduce emissions and reduce air pollution in a particular area? How we could then take that further is that we can also target things like that and target advertising and target platforms like we can do as genres, like we have Sky Sports or Sky Kids or whatever. You could target advertising. So you could target it to particular areas of the country so that you have particular brands are in that village who are working hard, who have messaging, who might have uh, different groups that people can get involved so that it actually feels much more local and much more home so people can feel that they know exactly what they could do. The other thing that I would look at doing is that with air pollution particularly, a lot 
is being done with air pollution, mainly probably from the schools and from young families, all kind of getting together, like the gold boot competition where everybody leaves their cars at home and walks to school and that kind of thing. So I think there's a lot to do with education and how you talk to young families, whether that's through channels like Sky Kids and, and you know making people aware of that, or whether that's through the Dare to Scoop campaign with personal specific campaigns that could help those organisations. I love the idea of some sort of app you could all promote in a coalition that could help consumers take action, hit their local representative up for change, email their MP, track air pollution, take some kind of meaningful action. And if a bunch of brands, as you said, Richard, FMCG brands and brands like Sky are amazing at marketing. Why couldn't they market something like that? Interested in your reflections, Richard. Ed mentioned behavioural economics, and you've already indicated you don't feel we're going to nudge our way out of climate disaster. So really keen to hear your views. There are some good principles of behavioural economics, though. One, I think, worked across a lot of behavioural change areas. And I think there are two things which seem very common. Is one, people tend to think they're a good person and they act in the right way, despite what they do. I mean, despite what the action is or whether it's a good action, they self-justify. So you believe you're a good person. The other is we do what people do around here. So there's a sense of, so I think is if, you're, if there's uncertainty in a decision, you look at people similar to you, people who look close to you, people who have similar values to you, to basically inform your decision. There are behavioural economics interventions that make behaviours seem more prevalent than they actually are. And so the sense the community is already acting and acting in positive ways in your local community, making it visible that people are acting, I think is a really powerful driver. My wife talks about Facebook and, and when we had young children, it was about baby boasting. It was making things visible that you were doing that were good. And I think if you can make those visible and social, I think I agree with Ed. I think air pollution is actually, compared to global warming, it's a walk in the park because you can actually have an action at a, at a community social level. So I think we could do something fabulous on this, Fiona. I think actually in the sense that this is convening communities to do social actions, whether it's an app, it, it needs to be visible, the action. We found that in showering. We need to make showering more visible than it was because actually when it's in your home, it's difficult to do. I think it's a, a really interesting opportunity. And if you have good effects on carbon at the same time, then it's more proximal reward, more proximal effects you can have. We seem to have created our coalition on air pollution. Thanks for signing up. Yeah. I'll let you know the next steps. Just to finish off, what are the other areas, Della? We've agreed air pollution is something you can bite off and understand, and it's got these wonderful immediate benefits. What are the other areas where we could make a difference now? I'm trying to give our viewers practical ideas they can take to upstairs or wherever in their organisation to say, right, this all sounds really difficult. Let's do something practical that can make a difference. What are the other areas we think that we could tackle? We, we know air pollution is one. We saw David Beckham talking about malaria and clearly getting anti-malarial medicines out there and looking at all of the solutions for malaria are other clear areas where we could take action. What else? Ed, let me turn back to you. You're the medical expert on the panel. What are the other opportunities alongside air pollution where companies here could do something practical in the next six months? Yeah, you know, Toby, I'm less good at answering that question than I am good at understanding the big picture issues. So let me just very briefly touch on the big picture issues. And I know Fiona and Richard are going to bring this right down to the ground because they work closer to the ground than I do. What do we need to get done worldwide to respond to this crisis? 
it's really only three things. We need to decarbonize the global economy, meaning we need every country to stop burning fossil fuels as a way of creating its electrical power and a way of moving bodies and goods from here to there. So it's not just the electrical grid, it's transportation. And those are the the two big factors. But one, we've got to greatly accelerate the transition to clean renewable energy, which by the way, it's going to happen. We're going to get to 100% global clean energy sooner or later. Let's just hope we get there sooner so that we can avert a truly catastrophic climate crisis that is devastating to human health and well-being. Number two, we've already put a whole lot of heat-trapping pollution up there into the sky and transferred some of it into the ocean as a result of natural processes. We need to harvest that heat trapping pollution right back out of the sky. And we've got to either put it back in the ground where it belongs or turn it into solid product. I'm incredibly covetous of getting a really high tech carbon fiber bicycle frame. So I'm going to try to do my own part for climate change by getting a better bicycle next year that weighs a fraction of the cost. And number three, every community on the planet is going to experience a changing local climate for the next number of decades, no matter what, even if we succeed in number one and number two, that cleaning up our energy supply and that drawing down the heat trapping pollution. So every community has to start thinking more smartly about what those climate risks are and how they're going to become more resilient to them. And every business does business in multiple communities and businesses should be playing a proactive role in helping their communities think through that somewhat complicated set of decisions. That's not quite as easy as saying, let's go after air pollution, but keeping the big picture in mind, what it truly takes to win is, I think, very important. My father, who's 75, he lives in a log cabin on the Thames, and he's just put solar panels all over his roof, and he's so excited about his energy reduction. It's like a kid with a new toy. It's it's such an optimistic message. You You spread that through the community, and you make a difference on exactly what you're talking about. Fiona, let me rephrase the question then. Let's say your bosses at Sky came to you and said, right, climate stuff is great. People love the show. We've made a real brand differentiator with our climate campaign, which we, I think we all agree Sky has. And they say to you, right, what's next? Give us something new. <laughs> what, what are you going to say to them, Fiona? We've got too many areas, still got climate. As well as the choices that we can make around the behaviours and reducing our carbon footprint, the big thing that we need to do, which is also linked to health, is nature and getting people back into a loving nature and, and kind of respecting nature and kind of investing back in nature. That's going to have a knock-on effect with respect to human health and exercise and the enjoyment. It's in a massive part of the climate story around restoration of our natural carbon sinks in order to absorb all this carbon that we've got up in the atmosphere. That's what I would say the next thing is, is you know, big campaigning. Don't forget about the nature piece of, of this equation. It's a great point. A lot of people don't seem to realise that soil can absorb 30 times more carbon than trees which doesn't make trees less valuable, but it makes soil a lot more valuable. (laughs) Richard, let me give the final word to you. I mean, Unilever, you know, the masters of marketing, although I recall one of your early executives, Lord Leverholm, famously said, I know half my advertising works, I just don't know which half. I don't know how much more that's moved on, but where are the opportunities for Unilever beyond something like the Air Pollution Coalition that we've just put together earlier in the panel? I guess what I'm advocate for is that actually companies like Sky, companies like Unilever, You have a massive convening power. The bit that consumers would appreciate is if there's not just a sell on the end of any environmental message, buy X and reduce your footprint. Because I think it is about the broader behavior change. 
To make a real difference, I do think that actually you have to, like, rather than just solve your individual problem, have a look at the range of problems you need to solve. So I talk about things like iron deficiency anemia in Nigeria. Unilever can actually do quite a lot against iron deficiency anemia with, with young women in um, Nigeria. But actually, there's a whole bunch of interventions outside the Unilever kind of space that are also required. So I think actually probably you need to be a small fish in a large pond and think about the world first and then thought about thinking about what your part is in it. And that gives a certain authenticity to messages, which I'm not surprised that the public are somewhat sceptical about the authenticity of many messages. Rarely does the solution to a, a large problem sit with one company. And we have this around the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals as well. If you're going to really improve things against the SDGs, then you've got to think about the wider picture. So I think it's a mindset thing. And this is building on your coalitions of actors again, Toby. Who are the, all the players that need to come together to actually deliver the outcome rather than what we call an output, which is just a single company deliverable? Your comment about sincerity reminded me of that brilliant campaign that Timberland did about 10 years ago, maybe. You might find it on YouTube. It's called Nature Needs Heroes. And it was like an action movie of a guy running through a forest and he's just chasing a plastic bottle down a stream. It's one of the greatest adverts I've ever seen. And it's not trying to sell you Timberland clothes. It's just trying to make it aspirational and fun to protect nature. It's a brilliant advert. Like every time I meet people from Timberland, I keep saying, do those ads again. They were great. <laughs> there are ways in which we can inspire people to take action, which enhance brands, which don't involve saying, buy more shoes at the end of it. We mm. need to be smarter than that. And I think that's the key message that's come across from this session for me is the smarter interventions that we've learned about can make a difference. And we need to start on areas where we can pick some easy wins. We talked about disaggregated solar. We talked about air pollution. There are areas in which we can do that. And there's a huge amount of marketing and comms expertise out there from organizations such as those represented by our panelists, but also you in the audience. To use the collaboration cliche again, we've got to work together to make this happen. And we at Innovation Forum stand ready to work with all and any of you to make that happen because time is short and we need to get on with it. It's also the most fascinating way you could spend your life, isn't it, really? So why would you want to do anything else? And with that, I shall hand over to Una for a few closing remarks. But before I do, I'd really like to thank all of the audience for taking part and the panel. Una, over to you to close this out. I think it's interesting because we've been on a bit of a journey through this conversation. And some of the quotes on the journey from many of you wonderful panellists um, kind of stuck with me. So let's start at the beginning with Dr Bernstein, who talked about climate change being shockingly absent of human concern and the role. So for me, that sparks this idea of how can we, using events like this, drive and stimulate that conversation in the next few weeks as COP occurs. So that one really, really struck me. He also said this notion about bringing climate down to size. And I think in that last panel, we heard a lot about that as well, this idea that it's a big elephant to chew on. So how do we bring it down to size? Some great confidence in that last panel that we could tackle air pollution or malaria. We could lean in and tackle these things and make a tangible impact, which I love, I absolutely loved. The idea that the planet's health is everyone's health and that sense of these two things are steeply and deeply interconnected and, you know, we shouldn't be necessarily looking at them through individual lenses as we, as we have been to this point. 
One of the things that came out again was this idea of literacy, and especially in that last panel, but also in the second panel, this idea that education, information, people being a little bit more literate about this topic can be really powerful. And for me, that strikes me, what's the role of WBA? What's the role of other businesses like ours and like the many on this panel and in the audience to drive that up, that literacy that then sparks change? I think I would bring it back round ultimately to what I said right at the beginning, which is what I love about the nature of what the discussion has been today is, is, you know, this idea that the Lancet said addressing climate change is the greatest public health opportunity. And I just really love that. And that opportunity has been brought to life through the ideas of collaboration, the ideas of owning behaviour and changing behaviour, the ideas of making it personal, bringing it into me and my business, which I think I love. And I'll just maybe finish with saying last week, Ros, our new CEO, or relatively recently new CEO, redefined what WBA is all about. What she said was, we want to be a leading partner in reimagining local healthcare and well-being for all. I think that really sums up, you know, the role that WBA want to continue to play. We're all about collaboration. We're already working with so many of the companies represented on this panel. We don't have all the answers yet, but we are wide open to exploring and driving for meaningful change, resilient, sustainable change. So those would be the remarks that I would finish with. I hope that kind of rounds it up for you well, Toby. You said it very well. Thank you so much. You had a lovely conclusion. It's very concise and I think summarised some of the key messages and themes. In terms of what happens from here, well, it's kind of up to you, the audience, in some ways. We're ready to do more on this. We think WBA and, and others are as well. And we'd love to work with you all to see what we could do together. I just want to thank everybody again for helping put this together and WBA particularly for, for sponsoring it so that we could make this happen today. And thanks to all of you. And we hope to see you again for another conversation like this very soon. Thank you. <laughs>